Praise God. Amen. Amen. I'd like to honor everyone today. If you're a guest with us today, we welcome you. We're so glad you're here worshiping with us this morning. We welcome you today. It's good. It's good to see Brother Billy and Babita Miles and family worshiping with us today. We miss them. Good to see them. I want to give honor to our small group leaders who are joining us today on the platform. Brother Sister Jolin, Brother Sister Valoesa, doing a great job leading small groups. And we honor them today. So glad they're here joining with us. Let me just say really quickly, and, I, and again, I don't want to take up a lot of time and mess with the flow of the Holy Ghost that's here, but this is important information. We are in the midst of doing some more changing, and we're not changing for the sake of changing, but it's our desire to bring everything that we do in alignment with the vision and culture of Antioch West. Everything we do has to be in alignment with the vision and the culture God has given to us. If it doesn't fit with the vision and the culture that we are trying to establish and that God has given to us, it doesn't matter how many years we've done it, it doesn't work. And therefore we've got to decide what to do and how to bring that into alignment with what God is doing. And so we've been walking, we talk about discipleship and small groups and all this stuff is working together. And we have been focusing for quite a while now on small groups because that is a huge part of what we do. In fact, small groups today, if you're not in a small group, you got to get in a small group. That's today after gatherings. You need to be a part of that. But Another part, as we've gotten sort of that on track, we've started looking at other things that we do and in so, seeing the need to address other areas of our body so that those things can be reflective of our attitude, our culture, and our vision. And so we are in the midst of making some additional changes, and we're going to be establishing Starting and establishing, it's not really starting, it's more just changing some terminology and, and getting an establishment of culture. We're going to be beginning an, 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 an ambassador, I'll get it out here in a minute, an ambassador program. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is a representative of Jesus Christ. We often re- think that we represent the church, but in reality we first and foremost represent Jesus Christ. And so we're going to begin to be to be ambassadors. And what does that mean? That means our greet, our greeting team, our ushering team, all of these things that we would normally think of ministries of the church. We are all going to be become ambassadors. And so we're going to have ambassadors from the very moment you pull up on the parking lot to the moment you find your seat. We're going to have ambassadors stationed throughout here, not only to minister and to greet our guests, but to be ambassadors to the body. So we want to show the spirit and the attitude and the culture of Antioch West through our serving and being ambassadors. And so if you have not been a part of being being uh, being in service to what we're doing and, and serving our the guest and the body, we're inviting you as we're making this change. We would love to have you join with us and be a part 
of this and to join in. We could always use more manpower. We've got multiple things that we're going to be doing, uh, part of this ambassador program, and we would love for you to be a part of that. If you want more information about that or how you can be of service to a guest and to the body, please see Brother Trombley to my right, your left. He's going to help me uh, put this put this together and implement this and uh, it's you're going to begin to see some things that hopefully reflect the culture of Antioch West right what good is it for us to talk about something and not do it it's one thing to say we are disciples but it's another thing to be a disciple and we can show people from the moment they drive up on, on, on the par- in the parking lot, we can show them what it truly means to be a disciple and be an ambassador. Paul said, I am an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. Means I'm representing him. We're not representing Antioch West. We're representing Jesus Christ. How we treat people, how we act, how we present ourselves to them, it's not a reflection on this body. It's a reflection on Jesus Christ. Because let's be honest. If we come in here, we worship and we pray and we preach, but we don't act like what we're doing. They're not going to listen to what we say. They're going to watch what we do. I've said this oftentimes. I've used this illustration before. If I say, I love you, but smack you on your face. What are you going to pay attention to? What I say or what I do? And I got to be honest with you, us working together to be ambassadors makes my job easier because I got to be honest with you, if you offend them before they get into the door, it doesn't matter what I say, they're offended. It doesn't matter what the worship team does. It doesn't matter if they sing songs and the presence of God moving. You're going to have somebody sitting out there with their hands crossed. I can't believe they did that to me when I got in the door. Well, you say, well, you know what? I don't really think it's a big deal. You don't know how big a deal it is. We all work together to represent Jesus Christ. So if you want to be a part of this, I'm encouraging you to see Brother Trombley and let him know you want to be a part. We'll get you more information on this. We're changing. We're, we're not really going to be reinventing the wheel. It's not like we're going to be doing something, you know, way out of the box. We're just going to be focusing on being a reflection of Jesus Christ in everything we do. I think that's, I think, I think there's somewhere in Scripture that, that we can find if we looked hard enough that tells us to do that, just by chance. Praise God. If you would today, you go with me to Mark chapter 10. I'm, I've been in the Gospels. I'm in the Gospels. I can't seem to get out of the Gospels, so we're just flowing in the Gospels. Mark chapter 10, verse 46, a very familiar story of Scripture. If you've been around anywhere at all, I'm sure you've heard the story talked about. You've heard the story preached on. And in no way am I trying to re-preach something that's been preached before, but there's some things in here I'd like to point out to you today that I believe through the help of the Holy Ghost will help someone in here today get a step closer to Jesus. Mark chapter 10 and verse number 46 says, Now they came to Jericho and went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, everybody say blind, the son of Timaeus, set by the road begging. And we heard that Jesus of Nazareth, and when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
Then they warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he's calling you. Verse 50 says this, And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. Verse 51, So Jesus answered and said unto him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. I want to just for a few moments today talk to you with this idea. Lessons from a blind man. Lessons from a blind man. If we look at this story and we just take a quick view of it, the first thing that jumps out in our mind is sort of the, the miracle that takes place. And yes, the miracle of someone that is blind receiving sight is a, an amazing thing to see. But if we're not careful, we get caught up in the miracle and we don't see that there's some things in this whole process that really speak to why the miracle was so great. Because if we're not careful, and I've used this often times in the last uh, several months, if we're, if we're not careful, we can get into some bad theology because we quote a few scriptures. I mean this with all respect. I don't, I don't mean to be negative. But the Christian bookshop did more for bad theology than anything. Amen. You know why? Not saying the Christian bookshop's wrong. But you go in the Christian bookshop and you see all of these pictures. And all of these pictures have these scriptures on them. You'll see this beautiful meadow and have a scripture on it. But all of these scriptures have context to them. And if we're not careful, we start quoting these scriptures and we focus on what the scripture is saying without realizing there's a context to the scripture. We've used these before. We say, all things work together for good. And we quote that. Everything's going to work for my good. But we don't quote the whole thing for them that are called according to his purpose. But even, we can't stop there because if you read the entirety of that scripture, the reason why things work for my good is because I'm walking in the spirit, not in the flesh. So if you're walking in the flesh, you can quote that all you want, but it's not going to be this case. The one that we've often been quoting a lot lately, but it's the one to me that's the most, it just sticks out because even this last week I heard someone quote it again. That God won't put on you any more than you can bear. The Bible says God won't put on you more than you can bear. That's not in the Bible. It sells pictures. It sounds good. But it's not scriptural. Because really in reality, I've said this a thousand times. I'll say it again. In reality, he's trying to put on you more than you can bear to prove you can't bear it. Because if you could bear it, you wouldn't need him. That whole idea smacks to the idea that I, I, I'm okay as long as my life is perfect and I, need, I use God as my insurance policy that I run to when all my life is going bad so he can fix it so I can go back to running my life. 
And if we're not careful here, we can, we can take some of these scriptures in here and we can make some theology out of it that, if we're not careful, can get us down some wrong paths. But I believe if we look at the entirety of this story, we can find there's some lessons we can learn from this blind man. First thing we can see is that Jesus asks him sort of the same dumb question he asked the man sitting by the pool. Remember we talked about in John chapter, in the Gospel of John, there was a man that was laying by a pool for 38 years. Jesus walks up to him and he says, Hey, do you want to be whole? Sort of the dumbest question to ask somebody. It's like walking to a hospital bed, finding the sickest person in there and say, Hey, do you want to be in the hospital? No, I don't want to be here. I'm here because I'm sick, but I really don't want to be here. I don't have anybody here that gets excited because they get to go to the hospital. And if that's the way you think, it's because you've never been in a hospital. No offense to the brothers and sisters in here that work at a hospital. I don't think we want to go hang out with you that much. But Jesus walks up to him and asks the dumbest question. Do you want to be made whole? But then here in Mark 10, he asks another dumb question. You ask a blind man, what do you want me to do for you? It seem, doesn't it seem obvious what he needs? But yet Jesus asks him a question, what do you want me to do for you? Remember last week we talked about the thing, under the thing? Jesus really never asks about the thing. Jesus really cares about the thing, under the thing. Because in this story, if we start looking, we notice that there's some things under the thing in blind Bartimaeus. So let's look and see what these things may be. First of all, we find that there is a huge thing in this question that Jesus asks. He asks him, what do you want to do? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want from me? What do you want me to do for you? He said, I want to, I want to have sight. That seems like the obvious answer. But here's the point. His whole world had been wrapped around asking people for alms. That's what he did. Literally, day after day, he would sit there and his whole life consisted of sitting by the roadside hand out asking for alms. Knowing that the alms wouldn't change his condition, but they would just help him survive one more day. So when he cried out to Jesus, Jesus was really asking, do you want to feel better or do you want to change? Because oftentimes, I gotta, I, I got to wonder, we come to God to feel better, but we don't come to God to change. We come to God to get another coin in our cup. Because that coin in our cup will sort of help us feel better. But really, he wants to know, what do you want me to do for you? That seems like a dumb question. But it's really not a dumb question when you know who he was talking to. Because he was talking to a man whose whole world was based on getting another coin put in a cup. 
So really, Jesus wanted to know, do you want me to put a coin in your cup, or do you want me to take away your need for the cup? I can come to God today, and I can say, God, I've got a cup. Help me fill this cup. Or he says, how about let's take away the cup, and let's actually deal with the whole thing that's keeping you dependent on the cup. He said, if, it, if you drink of this water, you'll thirst again. But if you drink of the water I give you, you will never thirst again. What does that mean? If you keep getting God to fill your cup up every Sunday, you will live dependent upon the cup. And here's the problem. If you live a life depending on God filling the cup, when God no longer fills that cup, you'll find other things to fill the cup. <laughs> And when God doesn't fill the cup, you'll find other people to fill the cup. That's why you get yourself in bad relationships. That's why you go there and you buy a car you shouldn't have bought because you can't afford it. That's why you get yourself in a house you shouldn't have ever gotten. That's why you switch jobs every week. Because you're trying to get a cup fill. It's truth. Because that's how we operate. That's how the whole thing is. That's our life. That was his whole identity. Notice this. Watch this. This is a huge deal. He had to first learn to live above his label. Notice when they called him out. They said, Jesus left with the disciples and with the multitudes and blind Bartimaeus. They didn't just call him Bartimaeus. They called him blind Bartimaeus. They, they labeled him based off his condition, not for who he was. They labeled him for where he was at. They labeled him by his current condition. And if he would have let that label define him, he would have never got out of where he was. Here's the point. Every time, every time we see Bartimaeus, he's called by his condition first and not his name. When we let labels limit us, we are not defined by what limits, we are defined by what limits us, not by who God made us to be. If I allow labels to define me, the label will determine my place. Here's the point. Blind Bartimaeus. So if you're blind Bartimaeus, you go where the blind go. Because when you're defined by your label, you go where the label takes you. Which if you look at the whole thing, if you go where the label takes you, you become what you are. And a blind man, by definition, became a beggar. And he became a beggar. And that's what he was. And his whole condition was based off that cup. So sad. I got to be honest with you. Stand up here week after week and I watch precious people come in here beaten down, trodden down, but they just have enough faith to get their cup filled. But they're never willing to say, okay, God, help me beyond the cup. He says, you know what? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Oh, that's a dumb question, Jesus. Obviously. You should heal his eyes because that's coming from our perspective. But from Bartimaeus' perspective, that was a legit question. 
Because you know what? If Jesus would have filled up his cup with all the money he could have had, his cup could have been overflowing. The problem is that cup was going to run out. It was a temporary relief. I got to be honest with you. We get into the place where we just look for relief, not for solutions. God, give me an Advil today. Take away this pain for a few minutes so I can get a reprieve, so I can go back and face it again. God, just take away this pain for a moment. And so what does it do? We get dependent on our cup. And the scary part is, I find that when people are cup dependent, when Jesus stops working or does other things in their life, they start looking for other ways to fill up that cup. Well, you know what? Pastor, I can go here. I can make more money at this job than at that job. And you know what? From a natural standpoint, that seems like an obvious choice. Hey, more money? Obvious choice. But if it's just more money to fill up the cup, it's going to leave you feeling empty in the end. Whether you make 20000 or 100000 if you're just filling up a cup, it's never enough. Let's be honest, we all do that, right? Have you ever got a new car or a new-to-you car? Either one? You get that car, you have every rule under the sun. There's no drinking, no eating, no breathing, no blowing your nose. Nothing in this car. I mean, when people come in your car and they touch, you wipe off the fingerprints. That thing is spotless. Every crumb gets sucked up into the vacuum. But let's give it some time. Give it a few months. Give it a year. You got two-week-old fries under the seat. Old coffee cups there. Breakfast from three weeks ago, still left there. Get in your car, looks like a science experiment gone wrong. Because it's just a car after a while. Because you know why? Ultimately, it's just a cup. But watch what happens. Let's go back to the text. It tells us right here. Look what happened. He cried out, son of David. And Jesus stood still and commanded me called. Then they called the blind man saying, be of good cheer. He's calling you. Now watch what he does. Verse 50. Go to verse 50 here. Throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. That's not an insignificant moment right there. Because in reality, in way of I would have, if I would have done it, he would have been healed and then thrown away his garment. But he first threw off his identity so he could come to God and get a new identity. And it doesn't say this, but in the context of this, if he threw aside his garment, he put away his cup. Because both things had to be put down so he could come to Jesus. The question is, we want to come to God in the tethered garments of what we're dealing with instead of saying, God, I lay it all down to come to you. 
I've often used this before, but I'll say it again. It's so hard to reach out for what God has when you're holding on to what you've got. And God is amazing at this. God will always keep himself just out of reach. Because he wants you to let go so you can grab a hold of. Because look, come here. You, you can be my problem and you can be, my, you can be God. There's no reflection on any character here. These are two very fine young men. But you're my problem and you're Jesus. And here I am in the middle. Right? And I know, Adam, Adam, you're going to have to forgive me for this for a second. You hold this. You're watching online, read my lips. But here's my problem. And here's Jesus. The problem is, there's always a gap between my problem and Him. And it's my choice which one I'm going to grab a hold of because I can't hold on to both. And if I don't release one, I can never hold on to the other. But the problem is, there's going to be a space, just move over just a little bit, there's going to be a space while I'm leaving one, I'm not going to be holding on to anything. You know what that's called? Faith. Faith is when I let go of one thing before I've seen the other. Faith is when I let go of the one thing before I see the evidence of the other. But I know if I let go, it's going to be there. So as I let go, there's a moment where I've got to trust Him before I grab a hold. But see, here's the point. We want to hold on to our problem. And we want Jesus, come over here Jesus, we want Jesus to join in the party. Because we want Jesus. This is going wrong, really good. Jesus, help us. Woo. If someone just turned online and saw that image without understanding anything about that, man, are we going to get talked about. All right, come over here, Jesus. Just kind of scared now. But see, we want Jesus to come and, hold, and, and take us from our problem so that we don't ever have to step out on faith. Notice, he's blind. Get this, he's blind. He can't see. So if he leaves his cup and his garment with all the people that are around him, he may not know how to get back to it. Get the picture, right? The Bible doesn't say it, but it's there if you look at it. There is a multitude, meaning there's a massive crowd. He has to leave his garment and his cup Go towards Jesus' voice knowing that there's a likelihood that someone's going to step on his cup. Someone's going to say, whose garment is this? Let's just throw it out. Knowing that if he leaves his identity, he's probably not going to get it back. But he's willing to take the leap of faith because he's tired of just feeling better. He's ready to change. See, that's the problem. Some of us want the, want the evidence of change before we leave our identity. We want to say, okay, hey, 
Where's my cup? Where's my garment? If I can see, I don't need this anymore. But God says, put it down first, then I'll heal your eyes. Because as long as you're holding on to that, I can never take you to where I want to take you. But the problem is, that journey, as a blind man, between the part where he sat and where Jesus is, Jesus was had to be a little bit of a nervous, fearful thing. But his faith propelled him past his fear because he knew there was an answer with Jesus. The question today is, is that do you want your problem or do you want Jesus? Because you can't have... And today is what is your cup? Thank you, guys. What's your cup? What are you using today to satisfy the feel-better mentality? But here's the point, the beautiful part of the whole story. We focus on what he didn't have without realizing what he did have. You say, what do you mean? Watch what it says. Ready? Let's go back to the very beginning. Verse 47. And when he heard... You missed it. See, you're not paying attention. I knew it. And when he heard Jesus, it was Jesus and now earth, he began to cry out and say, you see, you're missing it. You're missing it. We get so focused on what he didn't have, we don't see what he had. He heard and he began to cry out. The thing was not what he didn't have. The beauty was what he had. Because it was what he had, Brother Tino, that became the catalyst for God working in his life. Because all he needed to recognize is what he had. He didn't need any more than what he already had to get what God was trying to give. But instead of focusing on what he didn't have, he began to realize what he did have. He didn't have eyes to see. But he still had a voice. You see, the devil didn't know what he was doing. Because if the devil wanted to stop him, he shouldn't have taken away his eyes. Should have taken away his voice. Because the Bible says, power of life and death is in the what? As long as, his, long as his mouth was still working and his tongue was still moving, there was still life being able to flow out of him. And the Bible says when he heard, he cried out, Jesus! Today, you know what? If I ask you how's it going, you would focus on what you don't have. Realizing what you do have. Jesus In the burning bush, God spoke to Moses and said, look at your hand. Look down at your hand. He said, what do you got? He said, I got a staff. Moses was so caught up when he didn't have, he didn't realize what he had. I'm questioning today is, what do you have? Well, I don't have this. I don't have that. No, 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 no. I'm not asking you what you don't have. I'm asking you, what do you have? What do you have? But I need this. I need that. I know, I know, I know, I know. But what do you have? Do you have the ability to open up your mouth and say, Jesus, help me? Because as long as you understand what you have, 
There's an old song that says, faith, 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 just a little bit of faith. Faith, 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 just a little bit of faith. You don't need a whole lot. Just use what you got. Faith, 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 just a little bit of faith. That's old. That's Mother Wright with the big hair. Woo. Do, 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 do. She's watching. I love you. That's an old one. We get so caught up on what we don't have, we don't realize what we have. Yes, he was blind, but he still had all the tools necessary to get what he needed from God. So the question today is, what do you want? What do you want from God? Well, that seems like an obvious question today, preacher. Obviously, I want God to fix this. I want God to do this. I want God to take away this. I want God to do this. Okay. No. Do you want to feel better or do you want to be better? All my anatomy of disciple people, do you want to feel better (laughs) or do you want to be better? Do you want to feel better or do you want to be better? I got to be honest with you. We live in a Christian world that's addicted to the feeling. It's all about feeling. It's all about God loves and God does this and feel, 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 feel. It's all about feel, feel, feel. You know what? I, want, I like feeling good, but I got to be honest with you. It's a beautiful feeling when you have peace and miserable at the same time. You ever had that situation, those of you that walk with Jesus? You ever just been just at peace and miserable at the same time? And you try to not have peace, but you just have peace. But you're miserable, but you've got peace. And you're like, why do I have peace and I'm miserable? Because you know what? My peace is not based on my circumstance. And I can have peace in the moment of my misery. So what are the lessons we can learn from the blind man? Number one, labels don't define us. Number two, what are you going to do with your cup? Number three, what do you have? And number four, what do you want him to do for you? Yes, the story is, Brother Trombley, he was healed of his blind, being blind. But in that process, there was something greater than just eyesight being restored. Because in the moment of his eyesight being restored, God was able to deal with the thing under the thing. Because you've got to be honest with you. What good, of it, what good would have it been for him to have his eyesight restored, but gone right back to the same place with the same cup? Same condition, but now you can see. It's not just about the sight today. It's God wants to change your condition. And as he changes your condition, he has to change your identity. Because i got to be honest with you, we, we get labeled, we define ourselves by labels. I'm a failure, no good, never be any good, never do this, never do that. Let's quit, yada, yada, yada. Jesus comes along and asks a simple question. What do you want me to do for you? Very simple question, but has profound implications. What do you want me to do for you? If I ask you that today, if I gave you a blank 
check question. That's what that really was. It was a blank check. If God gave you a blank check today, what do you want me to do for you? How would you fill that out? Oh, God, I need this and I need that. And yeah, that might be. But what did the blind man tell us? The blind man says it's bigger than just the miracle. There's something that he wants us to do on the way to the miracle. So today, you need to ask yourself these questions. Do I have a cup? And if so, how do I let the Lord lead me so I'm not dependent on my cup? Number two, do I let the label of my current condition define me? Number three, am I so caught up on what I don't have that I don't see what I do have? And most importantly, what do I want God to do for me? We find in two places, and there's more, but two places we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, two times where Jesus asked a somewhat dumb question, but each time he wasn't speaking to the miracle, he was speaking to the issue behind the miracle. What do you want me to do for you today, blind Bartimaeus? Do you want your cup or do you want your sight? Do you want to be made whole, man sitting at the pool? Because he'd been there for 38 years. So the question today is, what do you want him to do for you? Would you bow your heads? Father, we thank you. We thank you for what you're doing in everything. There's so much that you're doing. It's, we can't just say thank you for one thing. You're at work in so many ways. But God, as you have begun to work and you begin to peel back the layers of our heart and our life, and you begin to get to the heart of the matter, God, I pray you would give us the grace to walk the journey. Lord, as you call us to greater heights, you call us to deeper levels. Lord, let us see what you've equipped us with. And yes, along the journey, there may be times where we call out to you in need. And you might call back and ask, what do, we, what do you want from me? But God, give us the grace to walk in that journey. To lay down our cup, lay down our garment. To find you, to know you in a greater way like we've never known and found you before. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, let us walk in you. In Jesus' name. Would you just stand and one more time, let's just lift our hands and give the Lord praise and thanks today for his goodness. Can you do that? He's worthy. Come on, he's worthy. He's worthy. What do you want him to do for you today? Well, you know what? I could come to an altar and I could shed a few tears and get my cup filled. But if I did that and left out, that's all that happened. But God, I want to change. I want to be different. I want to be different. Can I just say this really quickly as a disclaimer? Not a, it's just to understand. I think it's important for us to understand. There's a lot of reasons for the operation of small group. But there's sometimes like today, it would be easy to say, you know what? Those of you that want something from God to come down here, lift your hands. And you could do your shed a few tears and maybe say a few things. But if that's all you do when you walk out of here, you've done nothing. So instead of focusing on the reaction of the moment, leave here with a determination that you're going to take what God is doing and apply it to your life more so tomorrow than today. 
And when you go to small group and you begin to discuss and talk about these things and share and help your brothers and sisters, that's what we're trying to get to. Oh, is a momentary response a big thing? Yeah, it's a big deal. But it goes beyond the moment to get into our life. Because let's be honest, if we just stay in the moment, nothing ever changes. But if you let the Holy Ghost begin to work, we can see God change us to become more like Him. God bless you. If you give us help to break some things down.